everyone. This is the KOW Philly Soccer Show. I'm KOW's Greg Wallandini. And I am Philly Soccer Pages Mike Servideo. And we're still here talking about the Philadelphia Union, who still have not won this season. It is time for weekly group therapy. That's pretty much what this podcast has devolved into and to bring in to help us cathartically get out what we need to get out. We brought in uh, Adam Adam Kahn again, who will break it all down for us. So uh, let's hear what Adam has to say. Back by popular demand because it went so well last week. We have from his undisclosed location in a bunker somewhere in Texas, Mr. Adam Kahn. We've also hey, run yeah, out of other people you? to talk to. What's that? We've also run out of we other kinda people to talk have, to. Uh, well, I mean, this is the thing. It's like it, it's it's so much. The team is doing so much to itself. It's tough to talk about like having you know a Red Bulls writers on to talk about matchups because. There's so many internal things with this team that need fixing. That you can't even get to the next level of talking about. Well, how's the union matchup against Rebels or X or Y or Z? Yeah, uh, because just the problems are, are like kind of systemic at this point. Um, so let, let, let's just kind of talk about the thing in hand. Let's talk about the LA game real quick. Just get that out of the way. Uh, I'll, I'll Man, it, that was a terrible I'll throw game of soccer. Flo- I'll t- throw it to the floor, Adam. I, I fell asleep during that soccer As, game, well, guys. <laughs> yes. I'll throw, I'll throw it to Adam first. Let's talk about that game real quick. What, what did you take from that? Uh, I took from it that L.A. is every bit as bad as we expected, even adding another central midfielder instead of a, because they didn't have Jesse's artists to choose from. They still struggled to create, and in order to do it, they had to find huge spaces within the union shape to get anything. And even then they still, if you look back at Giovanni Dos Santos past map, he's rarely in dangerous positions and they, they move the ball very slowly. Um, it, it's, they're a bad team and they look like a bad team playing against a team that was playing not to lose. And the union played not to lose and still almost gave up two goals in the first five minutes. Um, but they, you know, they hung in mostly by not giving up a, a ton of great chances and getting Andre Blake to come through for him. Before before I let Mike talk, <laughs> to your point about playing not to lose. At this point in the season, in this winless streak, and all of that, what does one point on the road matter? Why play not to lose? Why not? They walked out of there with no points as opposed to the one point they got. What does it matter? Uh, I, I would say in the, in the grand scheme, it matters because you, you really don't want to travel. It, it's, it's like really investment because you've invested so much time and energy coming back from a game that felt like a loss no matter how many points you got that coming away with something gives you something to hold on to. I think if if you look at what Jim Curtin said today in his press conference, talking about how they went there with the idea of playing not to lose, and you look at the reactions compared to you know how they reacted to a tie a week ago against Montreal, it was all about just saying we are a team that can do what we think we can do. Not not a team that can go out there and win and say that we can compete with the best of MLS, but saying, all right, our goal is to do X. Did we achieve X? okay, that, that means we are capable of achieving our goals. So I think, for me, that would be the takeaway I'd have as a coach and as, as a player. Fair enough. 
I mean, it's I mean, not a great answer. But no, it's, no and, it's, and it's a it's the logical answer. It is, but I mean, I mean, I'm with you on this, Greg. Though it's like we we've we've been through six months of not winning. We've been through two months of this season of not winning. Uh, you know, is is there a point where you just you just go for it, even on the road against LA? I mean, LA is like you said, Adam. Every bad, every bit bad as they were advertised. They were a poor team that still pretty much dominated Philadelphia for the whole game. I mean, how many? What what, what was the best chance for the Union in that game? It was uh, Roland Roland Alberg scuffing a, a volley, yeah. um, which I I think was his only touch in the game. This is only meaningful. <laughs> this is only meaningful one, obviously. Yeah. No, I think it was his only one. I think it was just, that was it was just the one, right? Did he have another one? He he ran around with his arms out for the rest of the game. Yeah, he he didn't he didn't do much, especially in the attacking half. And uh, I, I, I yeah, I'm, I struggle with where they're going to go with that position still. I mean, that was looking back at your your analysis piece on Philly Soccer Page this week. I was, one of the funniest gifts I think you've ever made was Roland Alberg taking himself out of the play twice <laughs> by complaining <laughs> about his teammates not not showing for the ball. Like he's directly like, six yards from the ball, can be an option for the ball, but instead chooses to raise his arms and yell at another teammate. And you know, I think I think a lot of a, a lot of Union fans have have taken a little issue with his apparent attitude. And who? Who would blame them at this point? Like watching watching something like that, it was just it was utterly ridiculous. I I can't disagree. <laughs> I, I, I mean, he's he's a guy that if you if you heard uh, Jim Curtin last week in his press conference said, yeah, Roland's a guy that doesn't get on the ball as much as a Tranquilo or someone like that. And then you look at a play of that and you go, well, this is this is probably part of the reason. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's just amazing. Oh God, I don't know where to go. <laughs> Um, yeah, it just it, it was just frustrating watching that game to watch LA, who's who's just abject. Who, if they were even slightly competent in front of goal, this was three nothing LA easily. I mean, just the amount of chances that were, I mean, they weren't even generated. The chances were given to Los Angeles in a lot of those situations. Well, you, Greg and I were saying before we jumped on with you, Adam. Like, if if LA was one or two players deeper, if yeah. if, if uh, Robbie Keane was still there or if Jassy's artist was healthy, they probably bang in two or three of those chances and we're talking about another two or three nil loss because the Union were never going to score in that game. No, They could have right. played for three hours thing, and the Union wouldn't have scored. Yeah, I mean, I, that, I think I think you're pointing out the main problem, which is that no matter what you take from that game, it's, it's basically that the Union didn't allow a goal um, against an L.A. team that was without you know, their only real out and out striker playing with a guy who has never been great as an, as an only option up top. And the union still almost got beaten by Emma Boateng who can't hold down a starting job in LA's lineup. Um, so, you know, you look for positives and it's, it's, Hey, you got the clean sheet, but certainly not. Um, hey, we came out of there with, you know, much better feeling about what we were capable of. I, I think, I think you're right, Mike, like th- there's no, there's no, iteration of that game in which the union uh you know actually threatened LA's goal um I'm looking at the stats right now they had two shots on target I can think of both of them one of them is the the Allberg one that he scuffs and the other one is uh Harris Madunian in from about 30 yards which which was a nice shot and it was actually nice to see him line up from distance twice if if I'm going to take any positives the the one positive it looked like Blake's confidence got a real boost He He, he, he looked a lot better I mean his defense didn't do very much to help him out but he he looked a lot better, and um, 
Harris looked as involved as I've seen him. I mean, he he was kind of the only guy that was, but he was kind of out there getting on the ball, trying to push guys forward, taking shots, you know, getting decent on the free kick. Yeah, uh, the the set plays were were again nice, and I, I think yeah. the, the he took two two nice shots yeah. from distance, which is I, I I think probably against the rules of the Philadelphia Union because we yeah. we haven't seen players do it in the seven years that the team has existed. <laughs> that that I I've just assumed that there was some sort of cash fine for right. shooting from beyond twenty five yards. <laughs> anyway, um, so I mean, those are the things I could if you're you're kind of fishing for positives. Those are the things, and you have to fish. You know, yeah, seriously, those are the things I take away. Uh, but again, you know, we know how good Blake is, how good he can be. It was a confidence issue. It was obviously his skills weren't eroding. And Harris has been kind of as advertised. He's kind of done what you thought he was going to do. He gets on the ball, he distributes, not a great defender. These are all things we knew. So he's kind of, I mean, these weren't surprises. These weren't exceptional things, but it, it, it was something to at least take out of it. I'm looking at the Yeah, I mean, I, I think another positive you can take away is probably that um, Jack Elliott's looking more and more confident on the ball. Yeah. And especially if you're going to continue with Ray Gaddis at right back, which seems like it's an actual possibility. Which is a ridiculous um, thing. We'll get to that, though. Yeah, that, that, that makes Elliott your only real distributor out of the back. I mean, if you, if you look at Richie Marquez this season, uh, last game, I don't think he connected a pass beyond 10 yards or so. And after the first half when he had two that went wildly into the corner, I'm not even sure he attempted one in the second half. I mean, he's you kind of like that. You like him learning to play within his means, but that also means that he's not going to be the guy to, to break the lines with a pass. You know Gaddis, that's not his strong suit. And Fabinho can do it from time to time, but it's certainly not something he does consistently. So you've got you've got Harris rolling deep, and you've got um, Elliott back there as the only two guys who are going to give you that line-breaking pass. And if if you want to look at the importance of that, the, the number of times going back over that game that uh, that LA was able to rotate their midfield and free up Jermaine Jones or um, Jelle Van Dam deeper to play a ball that broke the Union's lines, uh, that was the difference in controlling in controlling possession. Is that whenever LA needed to, they could free the ball up and then play a longer pass to beat the Union's first line of defense, and it it gave them more options and it made the Union rearrange themselves and they were able to keep the ball and. Right now, the Union, it, you know, it's it's like 2015 all over again in the back where you, where you say, how are we supposed to get the ball from the back to the front? Um, I know you were, Mike, were asleep for this part, so I won't. <laughs> I, I went back and rewatched the game. <laughs> to my you're, 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 I, I, you're, I, I, I fell asleep at about the 70th minute. You're, you're, I, I, did you're, go, I did go back and watch the game. You're a better man than I am. I did. I, I've been I, trying I, to rewatch stuff. That game, I was like, you know what? I, 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 I'm the same way. You know, honestly, <laughs> in the past for away games and even home games, I watch everything twice. Yeah. If it's a home game, I watch it while I'm at the game, and yeah. then I'll rewatch it later. With away games, I'll watch it when it's on, and then I'll watch it yeah. again before we do this so I can feel like I can talk confidently about it. I haven't no. watched a game twice all season. I just can't. Uh, I, I have, but <laughs> I, was, I wasn't about to watch the LA game again. Anyway, um, well, how frustrated... Because I was very frustrated when this happened. When Simpson came in and he's running on the field and he pointed and then pointed to the <laughs> left, and you knew he was pointing at CJ and telling him, Okay, Greg, I'm going up top, you're in the left wing. Greg texted me about this with explanation points I, in capital I, letters. I, just, <laughs> I saw that. I was like, they, they just, no matter what's happening, they're not going to break this formation. They're, Jim's going to live and die on this 4 2 3 1. 
no matter what what the situation is, no matter what's going on, it, it's it's you know. And he, to his credit, and we talked about it last week. He's changed some things. He's changed personnel. He's moved guys around. He's you know he's changed some things, but it's always within this four two three one that hasn't worked all season going into last you know and the last season. Yeah, I, I I think I think I, I I've seen them move to to a slightly different shape defensively, mm-hmm. but it does nothing to change how they break out and and right now uh, defensively they, they you know they certainly have their issues, but you can almost argue that some of those may be personnel related as much as they are um, as much as they are systemic, um, but but going forward you you see they're struggling to figure out how to use their wings effectively. Something something I've noticed recently, especially this season, but going back to last year, is that with this four two three one, a lot of times they end up with their fullbacks and their wingers on the exact same vertical line. So you see the wingers go all the way out to the end line to receive a ball from the fullbacks, and I think looking for that fullback overlap. But when it's not there, you end up with a guy stranded on the wing. Um, and so it, uh, you know, it it could be that these are problems specifically to the shape, but I also think they're problems specific to to the way the union are trying to interpret and use it. And um, and you just don't see much coordination, or the coordination that you see is um, is is only sort of moving the ball around the back, but not in terms of how they get the ball from uh, from the back through the lines of defense into dangerous areas. You still don't see any sort of movement that suggests that this this shape is is conducive to getting the ball into dangerous areas for the Union this year. Let's let's let's, let's talk about the four two three one as a shape a little bit more because. I mean, you, you're as good a uh, student of uh, tactics and formations as I know. So, tell me, who is still using a four-two-three-one, and who's using it effectively? You know, either MLS teams, international soccer teams, and and tell me a little bit about the personnel that they have that makes it work for them. Okay, um, so so this is a, this is one of those questions that's definitely going to get um, you know a little bit conceptual in the answer because the four-two-three-one is such is so closely related to the four three three, and it's also really closely related to the four one four one. And in each case, what you're really talking about is just how the central midfielders arrange themselves, and then what the defensive responsibilities of the wingers are. And so the way the union play is probably, especially right now with um, with Bedoya uh, dropping back next to Madunian in whenever possible, is closer to sort of the the original four two three one as it emerged, which would be um, you know, back in the, and it sort of came to, to prominence during the 2010 World Cup when you can see a lot of teams went with a second deep midfielder to try and close off the, uh, the central area of the pitch and force other teams out wide. And the 2010 World Cup was, you know, kind of a lame one because no one had an answer to that immediately. Um, but a lot of teams since then have said, okay, well, in order to combat that, we need to find ways to get more attacking movement. And one way to do that is to, use these wingers to come inside and move the fullbacks forward. And that was the original advantage you got from the four, two, three, one is you can move guys forward on the wings, tuck the wingers inside. And then those two holding midfielders can cover more ground than a single holding midfielder could. Um, The way it's used now is often uh, to sort of press effectively in the middle third and further up the pitch, because you've got the wingers who can come inside and press and you've got three midfielders um, usually you'll want at least um, one playing sort of that eight role that the union have Bedoya in now where 
he can step forward and join a higher press or drop back and uh, be more protective if the other team establishes possession. Um, and so those, those are sort of the, the benefits of the 4-2-3-1 as the union play it. Um, in terms of teams that play it now, you'll, you'll see um, a lot more teams in the middle tier to lower tier of uh, the top divisions in Europe and places like that playing the 4-2-3-1 because it is still a very effective shape um, for defending, especially the the way the Union dropped back into that 4-1-4-1. You'll see um, teams like sometimes Man United will still do this, play a 4-1-4-1 where they play a really compact two lines of four and then have another midfielder as sort of the free man between there. So if one of the the two slightly more advanced central midfielders steps up to pressure the ball and prevent a ball going across the field, then the guy who's sitting deeper can step up into the hole if he needs to or slide over to protect and make sure that no through ball can, um, or no wall pass can be created uh, in the center of the pitch. So I I think as the union played, it's certainly not the, not the um, on the cusp formation right now. You're seeing a lot of teams. uh, I know Mike, you mentioned this uh, off the air, moving to the three back system because the three back system allows you a bit more flexibility. The four, two, three, one as the union play right now, isn't um, very flexible which is why uh, you probably see the union doing enforced winger movements and things like that instead of a more free-flowing system where guys can and, – and the union will do this. You saw for a while Fafa Pico ended up up top um, mm-hmm. against L.A. But I, I think in general the way the union play, it's a lot more structured, and I think that's what they're looking for is, is a structured formation, and that's really one that's going to emphasize defense. And that's right now at the top level. You, you see it with a lot of the top teams um, – that are playing with four backs, uh, trying to play a high pressure system and also defend in the four back system is difficult. And um, the union experienced that last year. And this year, I think they're, they're much more trying to sit back in a four, two, three, one that is organized. Um, and, and they're just struggling with it because then you end up trying to get out in transitions with your wingers who have dropped so far back defensively that they have trouble getting forward and starting your offense. And that's the exact issue that Philly sees this year. You talk, you, Sorry, that was a long answer. No, no, it's good. Perfect. Radio.com. Going back to what you're saying about either Man United or another team that's that's doing this, and when they're they're dropping back into defense, they're dropping into those two lines of four, and it's it's it's, it's very obvious when you watch, I think, uh, La Liga or uh, EPL that you can see those two lines and how mm-hmm. difficult it is to penetrate them. Why are the union so poor at dropping back into those lines? I mean, how, <laughs> how often do you see the union be two straight lines of defense? I, don't, I haven't seen it once this year. No. I mean, it, yeah, and you go back to a game like Montreal, and Montreal starts dropping balls over Harris's head, and they're 3v3 on the right already. Yeah. Right. Which should right. never happen. It's amazing how quickly it happened in that game. I watched it happen twice. It's I, I the Montreal game presented a lot of problems, specifically for the the way the Union play. And and one of the really confusing things for me, you know, not not being able to you know talk to the coaching staff directly and say, hey, why does this happen? Is that the Union? And and this is actually something that Jim Curtin mentioned with Rosenberry and that Rosenberry mentioned himself uh, recently when, you know, talking about why he's been benched is, is the union asked their fullbacks to make these really difficult decisions as to when to pressure and when not to. And you'll see the union, when the ball is switched to the opposite side of the field, they will ask either a winger or a fullback, depending on how deep the ball is 
to immediately sprint out to the man who's receiving the ball. Basically, like put him under pressure, which is which is a fine tactic if you're, you know, if you're if you actually have the time to get there. The problem is if the ball beats you there, now you have a fullback stretched out from the rest of the back line, and you're probably going to have a winger coming over to help. Uh, one of the center backs may come over to help, or if he doesn't, he's staying deep in the box. You have a huge gap between the fullback and the center back, which then normally you'd expect a, a central midfielder to cover. But as we've seen this year, that's not something that Harris Madunian really has in his, I don't know if it's one of his, not one of his responsibilities or if it's just something that he's not doing well, but he doesn't cover that space when it opens up between the fullback and the center back. And so the union, to the extent that they want to get a man on the ball when it's switched, uh, they lose that tight four, back four. And then they also end up losing that tight midfield four, because then you also have a winger out there because once you have a man covering the ball, it doesn't make sense to have him out there on an island if the other team has support. So then you have to send your own support out there. And now instead of having these two banks of four that are protecting a specific area of the pitch, you're actually spreading out to that corner. And it's interesting looking at some of the, um, the videos Union posted on their website today uh, analyzing the game. Um, you can see the Union get numbers in around the ball, but what they don't really do is uh, control the space around the ball. So while they might have numbers in there, they leave – they leave the passing lanes open and not just any pet and they leave sometimes good passing lanes open. So in other words, they're not their defensive structure when they press is not specifically designed to put the ball in a certain location that they can then attack. It's pretty much a pressure designed to keep the other team moving sideways or backwards without a real sense of which pass is going to lead to the press, except maybe if a guy is turned around facing away from goal. But as long as you're pushing that fullback wide and that midfielder out there to cover him, you're not going to have those tight back four. And the question is whether it's probably something you guys can tell me, is it necessary to get that player out there to press the ball? Or do you, you know, move your whole formation over as a unit and then, uh, you know, go after the ball once you're there? Why would you not do it the latter way? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> why would you not? They've always done, they've always done it the other way. I've never, yeah. I agree with you, Mike. I, I've never seen them keep two banks of four that move side to side across the field without extending too far. They mm-hmm. have a huge you're, tendency that, to extend. You're, you're putting <laughs> wingers and fullbacks in terrible posi- positions with one-on-ones all the time, too. I mean, the, the way you lay it out, it's, it's really interesting. And if you think about it, I'm kind of conceptualizing as you're talking about it. You can really kind of, in your mind's eye, see it kind of happening in past games. And for a team, and I'll get back to this a little more in a minute, but for a team that's very system-oriented, you know, do air quotes here that they do have <laughs> they do have such problems keeping their shape and I think you laid it out perfectly it's it's okay are, are we a zonal team or are we a man man team and they lean to to this man marking team but they they create problems for themselves because they open up open up their space and talk talking about again going back to the system we can argue the merits of the system that they play and we have you know at infinitum. I think it goes back to you don't have the guys to run it the way you want. You have this kind of rigid concept that you ha- that you want to put out there, but you have Roland Allberg, who's not a guy that plays within a system, and you have uh, you know Harris Madunian, who could probably play in a system, but I don't know if it plays in this system or at least this system as, as lined up. So, how much is that the issue? Uh, I mean, this this comes back to the you know the sort of thing I, I think we talked about 
last week and, and that I'm still sort of rolling around in my head, which is, you know, if, if the union talk about this is the system we want, we want to play this, um, it, it, it's harder and harder to figure out exactly what that means. Because mm-hmm. if you if you think back, and I think Kevin Kincaid tweeted about this a little bit today, if you think back to what the union talked about going into the 2016 season, it was very much a, a clear idea of a system, especially in the center of the midfield, which was an aggressive, mobile set of midfielders. And when you, as soon as you bring in Harris Madunian in, you know that's not what you have. You know, like you almost know by definition that if that was your system last year, this is a different system. The shape may stay the same, mm-hmm. but it's a different system. And I, I think that's what led Kevin at the beginning of this year to propose a three-back system to give support to Madunian and you know, recognizing that he's not very mobile. And they haven't done that. Instead, they've basically said, "Do what you can defensively, and um, and we'll we'll sort it out around you." Um, just sort of sort of be a a general back there, um, but but yeah, I, I think it, it's hard it's hard to rationalize. It's hard to make an argument that this is the same system as last year or the one that they wanted to go into last year with, because there's no system of high intensity pressing that Harris Madunian in would say he should be a part of. I think. Yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I, I could have said about it. He's not a guy. Yeah. I, you know, he, I couldn't say it better myself. And well you, well, you mentioned some of the stuff that Kevin was tweeting about our friend Kevin Kincaid over at Philly Voice, um, and I want to I want to go back to some of that stuff because there's there's some interesting quotes from Ernie Stewart who we we don't get a lot of press as, access to, so it was it was good to hear from him today, um, and I, I want to read exactly what he said, so I'm not I'm not uh, misquoting. Um, so Kevin basically asked him. Is it really that difficult to try to tweak the system? And Stewart's answer is yes, it is difficult. They already have difficulties with what we ask of them, which to me is an indictment on the players. Uh, it, they can't handle another system, and they have difficulties of what was asking of what is being asked of them. Um, they're doing a terrible job of what is being asked of them, seemingly. Um, and the conversation goes on, is it really that difficult? You've got guys here who've played the same shape for two years. They've played in World Cups and on national teams. And Stewart answers, you're projecting it on players who played at the World Cup. For those players, no, it's not difficult. But for all of the others, it is. Um, and I want to read the, the, the full Stewart quote here, too. Mm. It's, once again, if you change for the sake of change, it's fine. You can try something else. But it doesn't mean you're going to solve a situation. Do I feel within our system that you can make tweaks? Yeah, for sure. But tweaks are a lot of times names. As an example, with CJ and Jay behind him, what are you playing? You're also playing a 4-2-3-1, but it's a tweak because there are different players in those positions and they're going to react a little bit different. But a formation and a system, because everybody hangs up on that, is whatever the players make of that system. It's more about the organization defensively. That's the most important part which we just dissected it. It's not going well. Um, building a foundation doesn't start with let's go attack all the time. It starts with how do we defend with each other? If you make sure your defense is good and you don't have any goals against you, then what you're doing is what you're having is a pretty decent season. And if you don't do that, then it becomes a difficult one. So organization is based on that to change when there's already chaos in people's heads. You, then you don't want to change. Uh, <laughs> that's it's it's a tough quote to kind of get your head around. Um, 
because system, I, I don't know. This isn't this isn't the NFL. This isn't the NFL where guys have to memorize a phone book, basically, and he, you know, it's just beaten, drilled, and drilled, and drilled, and drilled into your head. And it's 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 not that. It, it's it's you know I'm not saying it's easy, but what they're doing objectively isn't working. <laughs> And we, you know, we've argued about this since game one of this season. You know, back in the last season. And you know, I don't assume to know as much as Ernie Stewart or Jim Curtin. You know, I'm some radio guy. I get that, but I can see <laughs> that what they're doing is not working, and the results show it is not working. And to make a statement like that about. We can't change because it's just too much for the players. I don't get it. I, I don't. I understand you have you have a concept, you have a philosophy, you have a way you want to do things. You have you have an idea of what your style should be. That's great. This team isn't good enough to impose a style onto another team for any any length. They've done it in spurts. They've done it a little bit in the Montreal game where they kind of impose themselves. They done they did it a little bit. In the Toronto game, to a lesser extent, but they they're just not good enough to do that and, and to run this system to, to be this rigid. It's 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 just frustrating. Adam, make sense make sense of this to me, please. I <laughs> I, I can I can give you sort of the the best argument I can come up with, and I I can't promise I believe in it. I I can't really even back it that strongly, but um, <laughs> so. In, in uh, like reading or reading the responses that that um, or just the quotes that Pep Guardiola had when he took over Bayern Munich, um, there was a you know a book that came out sort of following his first year there, and one of the things he talked about was just how how slow he wanted to go with teaching players new concepts and making sure they mastered one before you move on to the next concept, even if it means that along the way you're going to hit some bumps in the road and you're going to say. You know, this is clearly something that they shouldn't have done, but we didn't cover it in enough detail yet. Um, and so, you know, it's not the sort of thing we're going to get upset about. And that's that's sort of the tenor of the responses I've I've heard from Ernie Stewart when he's been asked about both Jim Curtin and the team in general is is sort of don't worry. These are these are complicated, complex things we're teaching this team. When they come around, when they get it, then you know it's going to be almost like a light bulb coming on. They're going to get these concepts, and we're going to be you know a more competitive team. And and so I think that's that's the best argument I can make from those quotes because honestly if I'm if I'm just reading those quotes and and not hearing him say them in person I'm I'm not I'm not entirely convinced that they they make the most sense I, I feel like they're a bit defensive and um and they do come off as if he's blaming the players which I don't necessarily think he is I think what he's saying is give them time um, and soccer is a difficult sport but it comes off as these players aren't getting what we're teaching them. That's not my fault. That's their fault. That's that's the way it comes off. But, but, I um, mean, they've been doing this for going on. This is the second season for a lot of these yeah. players. Mm-hmm. I mean, at, at what point do you have to try teaching something new? <laughs> um, I, I, I mean, it, I, I mean, I think it, you talked about Kevin's quote. In one of them, he Kevin says, you know, at the end of last season, Curtin and Stewart talked a lot about going back to basics, and I think that's. If you really are going back to basics, what you're talking about is your your defensive movement and um, defensive shape. And I think Stewart talks about that a little bit in the in the latter half of what you're saying, where he says it comes down to to defense and defensive organization. And and 
I guess the real question then is still why why does it not even seem as though the defensive organization has has not even improved but sort of has an identity so that you can like you not said improved before, it's like, gotten worse can, yeah 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 you don't you don't see those coordinated movements across the pitch and also you don't see the coordinated um, breaking out from the defensive shape and you don't see the coordinated returning to the defensive shape so so none of the sort of hallmarks of you know the the most difficult moments of defending when when you have to go from chaos to shape, you don't you don't see them doing that well, and so you, you sort of wonder if if you're not seeing those signs, which which direction is this going? I think that's a fair question to ask. And, and to me, back to basics is kind of what you said, kind of tear, tearing up a little bit and saying, okay, when we don't have the ball, we're two banks of four. You you know Harris, uh, Alejandro, you guys drop back. You take up a position. Fullbacks, you know, you get you get flat with your uh, with, with your center backs. You know, wingers, you pull back. You know, and you you just you just make that line and you cover you cover all those zones, like you said, and you get that movement in there. And you know, to me, that's tearing it up and getting back to to basics. Because I mean, if if you look at this team, when we said this going into the year when we're you know slightly more confident than we are now that yes this team doesn't have you know this team doesn't ha- this team has talent but doesn't have any of those game changers so you're you're kind of looking at maybe that defensive simplicity to to see games out or things you know generating things off of set pieces to me that's what you know kind of getting it back to base- basics is and if anything they went the other way they compli- they complicated their set piece uh, situation by 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 these these you know these training yard plays and squandering these early early chances on set pieces when you have a guy and Harris Madunian who can as we've seen can de- uh, deliver a really quality ball in in, in you know off, you know in the dead ball situations yeah I, I honestly the thing that strikes me most about that whole exchange between Kevin and, and Ernie Stewart is is that he that Stewart sort of embraces the four two three one as the guiding concept of the union. Because cause when when I think about concepts and things like that that you want to impart on your team, I don't think about, well, you want to be here, he wants to be here, and the other guy wants to be here. You, it's much more about the, the sort of spacing. It's like, if this guy's here, if this guy's here, where do you want to arrange yourself? You know, it's sort of reading, it's reading the play and responding to that instead of sort of, um, you know, getting, saying this is where you want to be at any given time, you know, when we lose the ball. And you, you sort of want those more basic concepts than, than actual team shape to be what guides you. And that way you can, you know, you see some of the the um, other teams around the world move between shapes because the shape isn't so much as important as uh, just orienting yourself on the pitch to the ball, to your teammates, and to the opposition. And and that's sort of what the union has struggled with is is orienting themselves after turnovers, and then after getting the ball back too, I mean, you you see them really struggle with um, turning transitions into um, into good chances. I mean, I think the New York City game was probably the best example of that, where they kept turning New York City over and then kept squandering opportunities. Let's um, let's try to be positive. Let's go a little crazy. Mike's looking at me and come out of my mind. <laughs> I, yeah. So, okay, if and when this team gets its first win. I mean, we're pretty confident they're not going to take an over for the whole year, right? Right? No, I'm not okay. confident of that. Okay, yeah. let's, let's pretend. Okay, let's <laughs> for the sake of this conversation, let's let's say yes, they get a win. 
No, they have to play Montreal again, I guess. <laughs> or, oh, yeah, or L.A. again. Yeah. Uh, no, they don't. <laughs> no. Um, you know, it's just it's such a weird season that, no, they have not been good, but they've also haven't been bulldozed in any games, really. They haven't given up three, four, five goal. You know, they haven't been beaten like 4-0, 5-0. I think I mean, horrible been, like they've that. They've been lucky to not be that, though, they, have they haven't they, been in any of these games, besides the Montreal game. I think, well, I think they've I mean, been... I guess they've, been ties, but... They've, they've been in the Toronto game, I think, first game in the year, honestly, could have gone either way in Vancouver. I mean, it seems like a lifetime ago and all that. You know, you know do we have confidence that if they kind of break that, that something can snap inside of them, that they can, okay, we got this win, we're over the hump, we could Mike's shaking it. No, <laughs> I don't. That they could turn it into, okay, we got one win, let's turn it into something else. I mean, Adam, you alluded to that, going out to L.A. and, okay, we're going to go out there and we're going to get a point. You know, we're going to play not to lose. It was ugly. I don't think they drew it up that way, but they walked out of there with a point and they walked out of there with a clean sheet. Do we think, you know, they have that ability, okay, we got that win, can we? Can they build on that, Mike? Mike, you want to answer that? Or you answer that? <laughs> I, I mean, I already nodded no, and no, he was asking Mike, the question. Mike's I, do, I don't Mike's think they can build on at, that. Mike is looking at me like I'm psychotic. Which, I mean, honestly, I think the, no. the only the only way you're going to see something like that break is if they sign two players. Yeah. If, if they sign uh, a fantastic number ten that can come in here and get them five percent to ten percent more possession on the ball mm-hmm. and make really good passes in the final third of the field. Until that player is on the roster, no, that there's, not, there's I don't think that there's going to be a, a big shift even when they do win a game or if they manage to win two in a row. I they're play, they're two players short of going on a run. Yeah. Uh, Adam. I So you guys you guys may know this about me, but I am I am a big Liverpool fan. <laughs> no. Um, and, and even even before then, I was a big Jurgen Klopp fan. And and one of the things that I always come back to, and one of the things that I, you know, reinforces my love of soccer and tactics is, you know, him saying him talking about the moment he saw the video of Arrigo Sacchi, Milan's famous manager, teaching back forwards how to move together. You know, and he'd tie them, you know, tie a rope around him, and you have to move and stay the same distance between the guy next to you. And Klopp always says that's the moment where he realized that tactics and strategy can be can always be the equalizer in soccer. So so to the question of, you know, can they get a win? If they get that first win, can they go on a run? I I I always think that's possible in soccer, regardless of your talent levels, because if you are playing a smarter, more coordinated set of tactics, you will always have a chance. Mm-hmm. That said, um Jim Curtin is a young coach. Um he didn't he hasn't had time to sort of refine or figure out what his you know, the system he prefers to coach and play is he's had a lot of different people above him, giving him a lot of different orders. He's not the best coach to have when you have a team that doesn't necessarily fit, you know, any specific set of tactics and you need to sort it out and figure out, okay, well, what do we do here? And what do we do here to make everything come together and to make this team bigger than the sum of its parts or better than the sum of its parts. I think when, when people call for curtains head, the, the, the best argument I can hear for that is, that he's not the right guy given the situation that he's that he has right now. If I don't necessarily think it's mostly his fault that he has this roster to work with, I also don't think that necessarily he's a bad coach for any team in MLS. But if you're talking about sort of the is the situation favorable for him for a guy that's you know not coming in with a wealth of experience of how to impart a very simple system for 
a complex set of circumstances to a group of guys who are low on confidence and have no have no natural center of gravity. I mean, Mike, you talked about bringing in a number 10. The great thing about a guy like Ladero or any number 10 question as well is that he becomes not only the, the sort of gravity toward, around which sort of all the other players move, but he dictates the running for them. So if you have that kind of guy or you know the ball's going into him and he's going to be open, it, it sort of tells you how to move on the field. And right now the Union have no one who's going to sort of tell them how to move on the field. They have Harris Madunian in, picking the ball up, turning and looking up the pitch, and you've got a bunch of guys going, well, do I, you know, do I make the run into the corner? Uh, no one's really looking to run behind the center backs. Uh, do I come in short? They don't really have any sense of you know, anyone guiding the movement on the pitch. And I think bringing in a player is a, is a better solution than anything you're probably going to get from uh, you know, the coaching staff or the guys on the current roster at this point. Unless there's, but like I said, there's always a chance that you find that set of tactics that turns a bunch of guys who are struggling for a win into a team that can, you know, like the Union last year, go on a run where they look like a great defensive team for a month or so. And you know, we saw what a you know really good number ten can do when Barnetta was here and when he was clicking and kind of, you know, he did all those things. Pretty much what you said, you, you saw people, you saw kind of. Like you said, his own center of gravity around him, and just just how everything kind of spun around him, and that, that's that's great, and it's it's one of the things they severely lack. Uh, I also want to, you know, we talked about Kevin Kevin's uh, quotes from Ernie. I also want to talk about Dan Walsh's uh, article on Philly Soccer page, where he made a lot of great points and really pointed all his cannons at Jay Sugarman, um, mm-hmm. which, which you know all valid concerns. So one. Two points I wanted to talk about. One he talked about, one he didn't really mention was um, how Ernie is completely eschewing, at least at least up to this point, um, you know, argue about Chris Pontius, but up to this point, other a talent from within MLS, he hasn't really gotten I mean, that. we talked about that last week. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think Adam and, and, really and hit on other, that last week. The other point I'm going to make, which I don't think anybody's really talked about or thought about, is... The union's pretty much closed the door in Latin America. I mean, we, the only Latin you know Latin American player we currently have is, is Fabinho. Um, we haven't really. You don't get the feeling that that's a target area or anything like that, which in my mind is ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, well, I think that some of that stuff comes back to your your scouting structure or lack thereof. Yeah. Um, I, I I can't speak to all of the scouting structure in the union, <laughs> but it doesn't seem like it's robust, does it? Um, Not compared to, no, uh, just, just kind of, uh, uh, you know, just kind of looking at it at the surface. Not, not, no. <laughs> I mean, and you look at the guys that, that came in in this off season, I mean, what, what was the scouting done to get them here? You know, you, you probably scouted a guy like Harris. Um, I don't, I don't know to what extent, um, Gio Wijnaldum is a guy that that Ernie knew already. All right. Um, I don't know. I don't. What's the the backstory on um on Her- Simpson? Uh, as far as getting him in here, it's, yeah. it's uh, I, I mean, he saw he's that Leighton Orient was going out of business, he, well, and I we think, called and see who their strikers were. Well, was that that, 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 that might have been part of it, but he's kind of he's you know he's a known quantity. He's been in you know in the English structure for. Mm-hmm. You know, over ten about ten years probably. So he's he's not a guy that's a huge mystery. You know, um, 
Yeah, and and kind of just shutting the door on Latin America for whatever reason, scouting, whatever, and just really eschewing up to this point, you know, other, you know, from within MLS. I mean, you look at what Chicago did. Yes, they brought in Bash and Schweinsteiger, but they, you know, made the big move for Max McCarthy, McCarthy, which was a fantastic move, you know, which helped, you know, we talked about it last week a little bit, helped kind of, kind of build the structure where you could drop Sebastian Schweinsteiger into. So those are, you know, those are my two concerns that, you know, Dan brought up just, you know, working well, within the yeah. league you're in. I think I think there you know one one thing if you want to look to a place for hope you can look to Chicago I still think and say um you know maybe the union didn't get the the final player they wanted this off season and they laid the groundwork for him and you know they're going to bring someone in the summer that makes you go oh that that guy really makes sense when you have Harris there and Bedoya at the at the 10 you know that that makes sense now you've got this guy who's a dynamic do everything cleaner upper in the back, Harris gets further forward. Um, now he's creating and Bedoya has got more space to move off of CJ. You know, maybe it all makes sense. I think that's, that's the, the hope that I can draw from Chicago, but, but otherwise I, I think both of your points are, are well taken, Greg, which is the, you know, the first that they haven't drawn an MLS that much. And, and you worry a little bit where Jim Curtin said the other week in one of his press conferences that they went after uh, Drew Moore and, you know, didn't get him. He went to Toronto and you worry that, the type of guys that they would target that they need from MLS are the guys who are going to be at a point in their career where they want to move to a winner and the union can't promise to be a winner right now. Um, or you're going to, or you have to, you know, take a bit of a flyer on a guy like Pontius or, or like Chicago who, you know, for all intents and purposes, it looked like they overpaid for McCarty. They certainly paid a premium. Um, they didn't get a deal on him. Uh, so that's the other way to go about it is to say, okay, we're going to pay through the moon for him. And, Unfortunately, the, the one time the union, union did that in the league, it uh, it netted them Charlie Davies, who I, I think it was Dan's article or someone recently said, you know, you get a you know, 82 minutes out of or something like yeah. that since he arrived and possibly losing the number one pick next year. Um, and and so I think I think yeah, that, that that's a criticism that the union have to take seriously because you do get so much of your of your structure and your your glue guys from within the league um you you have to find a way to to get a couple guys i think going outside of the league to find uh, a veteran central defender was probably a mistake um just because you couldn't take much of a risk there you had too many young guys you had such a bad defense last year that you needed you needed some sort of low risk option and they didn't they didn't do that i think that was a a mistake and uh, as far as the latin american guys my my only guess there is maybe that's part of you know stewart Stewart always says he's looking for the little edges, the little advantages. And it could be that when he looks around MLS or when the union do, they think Latin America is where everyone else is going. And so they're not going to give in the scouting resources they have, which as, as Mike just detailed, no one has much confidence in them having a big scouting structure. Um, giving the, the options they have, maybe they said, well, Latin America is not the place to invest our resources. We're going to get a bigger edge by you know relying on the networks that Ernie already has in place, and so we're going to look to to some of these smaller leagues in Europe and try to find the same type of guys that Azed would have looked for as their um, as their depth signings. Um, that's my only guess there, because otherwise, yeah, it you would think that 
the deals that you can get done are often the ones from Latin American clubs that need money or where you have a guy that you've seen perform really well coming from the same league as a lot of other guys who have already made it in MLS. So lower risk options. I th- one of the other things that I want to hit on from, from Dan's article too is, you know, he talks about moving the union into MLS 3.0 or 2.0 or a, a version of MLS that the union's not currently playing <laughs> in, whatever the upgrade would be. Um, and it's it's going out and having three designated players on your team that that should be requisite. It's the fourth biggest sports market in the country, and I and I think that that's one thing that's been frustrating for me, and I think probably for for other union fans is that we don't want to play Moneyball here. You can play Moneyball at Kansas City or Columbus or you know a, 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 a town like that. This is, this is Philadelphia. This is a major sports town. This is a major metropolitan area. Spend big here, yeah. and the fans the fans will applaud that too. I mean, you know, every, everybody talks about Philly being a a, a blue collar town, and you know, you can appreciate the the work, but we can also appreciate a superstar when they come in too. Ah, yeah, ab- absolutely. And and you just look around the league, you know, the teams that are kind of making it happen are the ones that have that kind of that striker. They you know. Yeah, and and you, and you look and it's it's a strategy that's worked. I mean, Toronto FC was the definition of MLS futility mm-hmm. for the first 8 years of their existence. Change in ownership, bring in a couple of big name signings included. I mean, you know, is is there a possibility that the union's going to go out and get another Giovinco? No. no. Uh, but guys like <laughs> Michael Bradley or, or Josie Altador or you know those, those that caliber of players should be being brought here. And, and yeah, I, yeah, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Adam. No, no. I mean, I think, I think Michael Bradley is the, the most interesting name to bring up there because he is, he's in, in my view, sort of one of the exceptions to the DP rule. I mean, I, I would say that in general, if you're, if you're trying to, no matter what you're doing, you want, you need to spend your DP money in, in the positions that, that you really think they're going to have the biggest impact compared to the other players you could get for non-DP money, right? Yeah. I mean, so you see a few DPs uh, in central defense, you know, sort of the, the guy who's going to be a leader, has a ton of experience. Uh, you see DP money spent there. But then mostly you're going to see DP money spent, uh, you know, on the guys who are getting you the goals. Either the goals or are going to set up the goals. That's yeah, where the 10 DP and 9, right? Going. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, that's you'll occasionally see, you know, another midfielder, like uh, even, you know, you could argue Schweinsteiger is not a pure 10, but – but you occasionally see someone else, but you won't see that many because when you bring a DP in, it's it's not just spending the money to spend the money; it's a signal of intent. And I think the union has sort of not taken that full message. I mean, when when you bring in Marisa Du, when you bring in Alejandro Bedoya, you're bringing in good players, but the DP money that you're spending there is on is on the guy who's going to come in and be a U.S. international, and not necessarily on you know the the effect they're going to have on the team on the field. Uh, at a DP level, I mean, I I don't think I, I don't I don't know. I guess I I could be wrong, but I I would be surprised if a lot of people thought that either Adu or Bedoya were going to come in and and end up with anything near double digit assists or goals, or if they were going to come in and you know change a team from a losing team to a winning team. I mean, if you had a good team, right? If you have a solid team and you bring in Bedoya, then you have this argument that yeah, we are we are bringing in the final piece that's going to really bring this club together. And, and Bedoya talked about that after the Montreal tie. He said, when I got here, we were all ambitious. And, and I, I just thought to myself, well, that was, that was less than a year ago. 
<laughs> and and that's sort of where the union are is that they they bring in these DPs. They look to DPs as if they're the final piece when really what they need is a foundational designated player. You have to spend that money and say, we're bringing in this guy because this guy does exactly what we want and he's going to do it consistently and he's going to do it better than most other people you could bring in in MLS are going to do it. And until you treat the DP like that, which is, you know, you treat them like what the, the thing really is, which is the way to, to bring in exceptional players, then you're not going to, you're not going to compete in, in this league um, without all the other pieces falling into place. Like a DP is a shortcut to saying we need, we need to bring this team together, have a group together for three years, build it up through a process, and then you know we'll we'll compete. Uh, that's there are a lot of variables, a lot of things that can go wrong in that process. A DP is going to be your accelerator that gets you to the point where you can play around with some young guys and not feel like you're losing a ton of quality or giving up a ton of points along the way. All great points. Yeah, I think, I, yeah. In, in I, other I, words, I agree. <laughs> I agree completely with Mike. I agree completely, and I, I think the unions. DP strategy is, has been one of the worst in the league, and I I'm confused by it. I don't I have nothing against Padoya or Do or any of the you know places they've chosen to spend me. I just don't understand within MLS's you know strange system of money allocation in what way they've gotten anything close to maximizing the output of their DP slots. But before we wrap up, um, I, I just the follow up to that was was another thing that uh, Ernie said to uh, Kevin Kincaid today, which was that when him and Jim have gone to, to um, Jay Sugarman to ask that Jay has never said no when they've, when they've gone in there, that that's, that's Ernie's direct quote. And my response to that was go ask for more and go <laughs> ask for better. And I mean that a hundred percent, like go in there tomorrow. If right. that's the case and say <laughs> the fans are going yeah. crazy the team is terrible. Get in your pockets. We need yeah. two players. I, I, so I don't. I, I agree with that. The, the the and the worrying thing to me is looking at that from the other side and and saying, what if Kevin asks, you know, have have you how many players have you gone to and said, hey, come to the Philadelphia Union. We're going to open our pocketbook to bring you in. And the players got still gone. Nah, I'm not into it. Mm. Like I've heard stories, I'm not, I'm not good. Um, like that, that's sort of the flip side of that is, is saying, well, what if, what if the issue is not as much Sugarman as as we'd like to believe it is, and is more the union have trouble recruiting because there's, you know, they've done enough things wrong in their short time in MLS <laughs> to give people a little bit of a scare. Yeah, maybe a little bit of that, but I mean, you, I don't think you could have made that argument. A month ago, two months ago, um, and over and over the off season, because mm-hmm. they made the playoffs last season. Yes, did they did they back in and did they not win a game after August twenty eighth? Yes, definitely happened. But I I think most people saw last season as a step forward, as that the team was getting better. You, you can point to the fact that they have world class facilities now, which was certainly a detriment in the past of getting guys to come here. Yeah. You can say. We made the playoffs last year. We struggled a little bit at the end. We need to bring in a couple of guys. We think we've got a good thing going. I don't really think that there's you know, a huge market of uh, players out there, particularly players that are not terribly familiar with MLS if you're, if you're going abroad, that, that are saying, no, I don't want to go to the Philadelphia Union. I, I've heard through the grapevine that they're a terrible organization. I really don't think that information <laughs> and, and, is really that far out there. And, if you, and if you go to... You know, as we talked about, go to the Latin American comp, uh, countries, uh, these teams, and you could 
kind of go to these players from the kind of the more iffy teams and say, hey, we could pay every other week. Yeah. Your, your, no, check, the, will, the, 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 your check will clear the, the, when the, we the, pay the, you, which, as we know, it's kind of been a selling point for a lot of Latin American players coming to LMLS because sure, they, know, they know they're going to get, you know, they're going to have stability for their life. I mean, that they're not gonna, the, the, you know. And the quality of life that you're offering by, by living in the States and living in a major metropolitan area yeah. in Philadelphia where you're, you're close to D.C., you're close to New York, it, it, there's everything that you want here. So, I mean, I, th- I think that alone is enough of yeah. a selling point for, for bringing in international players, despite right. anything that they've heard to the contrary about how <laughs> terrible the organization is. All right, I think we're going to wrap I, it up. I, yeah, I, no, I, Adam, I real quick, right. then we're going to wrap it up. Yeah, I, I hope you guys are right. And I still, I still think that, you know, the question we're all pondering is, is why did the union make the decisions in the offseason that they made? Yeah. And, and how I, I keep coming back to that, that there are, you know, a million theories I could throw out there. But I, I can't, for the life of me, figure out how you go from what they had last year, saying we're going to go back to basics and we're going to keep the same system, and then you bring in guys who don't fit that system and you ignore the holes in the system that you struggled with all last season. That's still, I think, the big the big X file that um, you know we haven't been able to crack. All right, because we have to. Let's uh, we're obligated contractually. Let's give a prediction. <laughs> Two nothing Red Bulls. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. I, I I was just looking before I came on. I was looking at the Red Bull roster and their form, and, and they just got guys all over the place that make. You know, we talk about the union don't really have a difference maker. They got like two or three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, two and, nothing Red Bulls. And yeah, I I could see Red Bulls coming in here and yeah, two nothing Red Bull. Yeah, I'll probably go three one. But I I can see <laughs> the union historically have done well countering. The Red Bulls are still not a great team on the defending the counter. So if you if you can actually get Pico or someone out in the open field and a couple runners, I, I think you have a, a chance to make some noise just because New York has a tendency to let games slip. But I, I think in terms of what to expect, it would be, it would be hard. Thought, to predict the way that you saw Red Bulls come into here into Philadelphia twice last year and, and be a little bit unlucky to not, to not get wins. You mm. know, I think the, the mm-hmm. open cup game where the union came back and won two to one where New York dominated the first half and then the, the the game later in the summer where it ended up 2-2, um, you know, the Red Bulls really had chances to take the Union out of the those two games and, and weren't able to in the first half. And I just worry, they scored twice in the first half, the game is over. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. All right, I think we'll wrap it up on that. Adam, <laughs> thank you for... You know, I was joking off mic that this is our like weekly uh, group, uh, group therapy. therapy session where we just cathartically get <laughs> yeah. everything K-Y-W out. KYW group therapy uh, session. <laughs> it has the same <laughs> ring to it. So I think, uh, yeah, I think that's kind of what the podcast has taken on for the last couple of weeks, and yeah, I want to get out of that, and I think a win would help. Yeah. Guys, if you're listening, yeah, uh, but, uh, <laughs> but but I think just these last couple of weeks, it's just been tough to sit here and talk about matchups and oh, the, what's this what the union going to do against this team because of just every like I said earlier, just everything that's going on internally and everything that's going on systemically. It, it's tough to kind of talk in those terms until the union take grander steps to figure out what they're what's going on, kind of you know internally, basically. Um, so I want to thank yeah. Adam for joining us uh, again this week. Uh, maybe we'll have you on next week. Maybe who knows? We'll just have you on retainer and just keep coming on. Uh, I want to thank Mike for sitting in the, uh, <laughs> in the co-host chair. And uh, you know, let's let's you know, despite what we said, let's all just kind of get together and hope for a win. Come on, we can do this, all right, guys? Yeah, yeah. Hope, hope, please. I'm hoping. Hope for a win. All right. Uh, I want to thank everybody for listening. We'll catch you next week.